Um, happy International Coffee Day. I've already began celebrating. Uh, so I don't know about you guys, but uh, I am a coffee guy. I'm sure you'll hear plenty about that. And uh, when people go, you know, like, I'm really into coffee. And I'm like, great. And then they get to know me, and they're like, oh, you're one of the weirdos. Like, you're, 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 there's, there's, there's a limit. There's a reasonable limit that I am way past. Um, but uh, it is so good to see you guys this morning. Um, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Jeff Henderson. This is my wife, Amanda. And I, th and I think we're the newest members of the Wichita Church Christ. And we are thrilled to be here. Um, also, many of you guys have been praying for us. Um, thank you for that. And giving us carbohydrates in a variety of you know, packaging. We got cookies. We've got gifts. We had hugs. We've got bubbles. Thank you guys so much for the generous welcome. Um, but I also, we also want to say that yesterday we put a like an, an offer on the house, and it was accepted. So we're putting roots down, baby. We're gonna we're actually right next to the Hoyles. We're kind of over there by uh, kind of 20 Rockwood. So we were praying and wanting. Uh, we didn't want to be like in Hutch or something. We, we like the idea of having cows and a lot of space, don't get me wrong, but uh, we wanted to be in the city and be close to everyone. So we're excited. We were fighting. We actually, we kind of by faith, we, we actually came quite a bit under market and asking value and we we're like, God, please. And they said yes. So we are very excited. So we are thrilled to not only have a home for our family, but our whole church family. We're excited about that. So thank you. Pray. Keep praying for it. We need a lot of prayer. Uh, mostly for our mental stability at this point. But um, we're, if you've got a Bible, turn on to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be spending kind of all our time. That'll be our text today. And we're kind of kicking off this series on, we're talking about reflections. Dun, dun, dun. And we had, I think, Charleston, Charlton Heston come back to life in, uh, in his youthful young voice and did this voiceover of a great video. If you haven't seen that, thank you, Tony and the crew. Um, but it's, it's kind of, we're going to be talking this month all about not just being people who reflect on Jesus, but reflect him and transforming. And like how Peter has talked about how when we add to our faith goodness and we keep adding and it prevents us from being unfruitful and unproductive, which I don't know a single human being, most especially if you're in this room today, I don't know of anybody who wakes up and goes, you know what, I want to be entirely useless to God. I want to do nothing, I, no miracles, thank you. I don't want to see my life change, my kids, eh, whatever. Like, I don't know of anybody who's thinking like that. But if we're not careful, we can be like that. And in a blink of an eye, we wake up 10, 20, 30, 40 years later in the faith, and we look back and we go, I'm older, but am I more mature? Am I more humble? Am I more impactful? Am I more at peace? Do I have more joy, or am I more irritable? Which, for some of us, you're like, oh, good point, bro, let's pray. You know, I mean, we're, that's the end of the sermon today. You know, but it's, the truth of it is, is that when we're young in the faith, man, you know, three, four, five weeks, months, or years old in the faith, it's exciting, and our eyes are wide open. And then sometimes, I'll be honest, life and Satan will punch you right in the face. And then we're kind of stunned, and we're left with this idea, like Peter was, which I'm, we'll talk about a variety of different characters this month, about hopefully some great inspiring examples from the New Testament and Scripture to help us to keep growing and reflecting Jesus as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I thought it was a great idea from Jason and Tony uh, and crew. I don't know if it was just the two of you. Uh, and Chris as well, the, the, the brain children, brain 
That, you, you guys don't seem like children to me. Uh, you guys are the think tank, the the brainiacs, yeah. Uh, the Brain Trust. We'll figure out a better name for that. It feels inspiring and spiritual. The, the Blame Takers, excellent. Uh, the Accountability, yeah, yeah. The HR Department, yep, yeah. So uh, if you don't like this, feel free to talk with Chris. He will smile. He will smile and pray for you. Uh, and if you really have a problem, Jason will take you out back. Him and Alex, you guys, you guys will have a talk out back. Uh, amen. Well, I'm going to be talking. I want to talk. Uh, I'm going to zoom into a, a couple of different ones. In the next five weeks, I think next Sunday, Jason will be preaching for us. Yeah. Uh, and then on the 15th, we've got all the way from Northwest. It should be Arkansas, but it's Arkansas. Uh, Tim Schmidt's going to be coming to visiting and be a guest preacher for us. So we're really excited about that. And then you'll hear from me the last couple of weeks of October. And so we're going to zoom in and touch on a variety of different characters. And I'm going to zoom into this story, which to me is incredible. It's a treasure trove. There, there's so much to study in Luke 24. And this is, it's a feast. So probably similar to like the last few Sundays, my hope is to be able to get you started um, and thinking about a couple of great points. We're going to share communion together. We're switching it up because this passage naturally leads to communion. And we'll get there in a few minutes. But I want to encourage us all, especially this week and, this, and even really this month. This is a month where people are going to be putting on a lot of different masks. There's a lot of different costumes. And I think it's a good time for us in the year and look around and go, is that me in my faith? Now, it says put on Christ, right? I mean, yeah, like, but some of us, well, it's kind of like a jacket. We take them off, put them on. We know how to act it. We can come to, you know, we can come to church and give a great side hug, smile, and then we go home and we take it off and we're a different person. And I want us to, you know, as we're examining and thinking about this, we want to reflect Jesus from the inside out. Amen. But that's hard work. And no one will ever do it organically. I love that. Or it's like non-GMO discipleship or something. I, I, it's, o- it's only going to happen intentionally. And it's focused. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're going to zoom in in Luke 24 at the very end of the gospel story. This is Luke's account. He's the historian. Uh, he's, man, I, I, he's, he's brilliant and amazing. And if you if you like me, I came from kind of a skeptic's background. I, I grew up searching for truth engineer kind of minded I'm like I want the evidence let me have it and as I read the book of Luke Luke is a historian as well as a physician he's so detail oriented and as you've read if you've read up to this point in the book of Luke there are so many moments where Luke puts his neck on the chopping block because he's talking about people who were ruling there's names there's periods it's historical data you can go back this is not a this is not Harry Potter this is not just a good story even though he's a brilliant storyteller, is he not? I feel like David McCullough, Luke's in that kind of historian. It's just compelling the story of God. But he puts his neck on the line. And if you're like me and you're going, well, what do you mean? Show me the Bible is trustworthy. Luke is a phenomenal place to start. And I come back to frequently. But who's, you know, oh man, Tiberius? When? Where? You start looking in the history books. You can have your ancient history book and your Bible next to each other. In fact, archaeologists have in one hand, they have their toolkit, and the other hand, even if they're not believers, they have a Bible. Because as an ancient history text, you don't get better than it. And it just leaps off the page. So as we are carrying, we've gone through the entire gospel account, we are coming to the last few verses that Luke is leaving us with. It's a feast. But where we pick it up is with two disciples. We're going to read this passage. It'll give us a bit of context, and we're going to dive in. 
But as we do, I want to kind of throw this thought out to you. One of the things, when you talk about you know, a really cool Bible word, exegesis or hermeneutics, that's a really cool old word that just talks about good Bible study. That's all that means. But how do you have great Bible study? One of the great questions to ask is what would be missing if we didn't have this passage or this chunk of scripture? What would be missing? And it's interesting because what we're about ready to read doesn't appear in the other three Gospels. It's only Luke. And the historian that's coming in kind of adding cleanup and putting together the historical document and the story of Jesus' life, it's like God goes, no, 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 we're not going to let this one get forgotten. This needs to be in, and Luke records it. All, I mean, a massive. Of, of chapter 24 is this passage about the road to Emmaus. God wants us to have this. He wants us to be thinking about this. And as we turn the page quite literally from Luke 24 to Acts 1, also written by Luke, this is an integral part of the story. Does that make sense? And so God didn't want us to forget this. He didn't want us to miss this passage. And I wonder if he's wanting you and me to think about it today. Where are we in the story? We are three days after the crucifixion of Jesus. We are sitting in, I mean, just a few hundred yards from, or if you're a foreigner, a few hundred meters from the tomb of Jesus. And they've been waiting three days. There's, there, the tomb is, as far as they know, is, it's still closed. That, the Jesus' dead body is in there. Their Lord, their Savior, their teacher, their rabbi, and their best friend was murdered before their eyes. The, the confusion, the hurt, the blame. The Romans have been enslaving us for, for decades, for centuries, and then they kill our Jesus. You can, the emotions, the anger, the fear, the confusion. And then they wake up on the third day, and there's, there's a glimmer of hope if they were listening to Jesus' message. And then we actually hear that they've gone to the tomb, and there's not just the women, amen, because they're spiritual and they struggle. Where do they go? Where Jesus was, amen. What do the men do? We don't know. They do other things. <laughs> so the women come back with an account of, hey, actually, we saw an angel, the tomb's empty, and they're like, what? Peter runs and sees it, and where we pick it up in verse 13 is in the middle of grieving, confused, hurting, and struggling disciples that haven't seen Jesus and don't know what's next. Can we all relate? Fair? You're like, wow, how inspiring of a day this is. It gets better. Don't get me wrong. And this entire story is asking us, how do we do when the story doesn't go the way that we want or expect? And that's, keep that in the back of your mind. Let's read here in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We've had this thread unintentionally over the last few weeks of people who were looking and talking with Jesus and just couldn't see him and recognize him. But in verse 7, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? Downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, 
Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. Love Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, as they usually do. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels whom said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going to go farther. I love this. This is so good. It says, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he, in, he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up, and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them. And they assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray here before we dig in. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible account, your scriptures that continue to minister to us and teach us and guide us and challenge us, comfort us, and encourage us, Father, to follow you, to not just reflect on you, but to reflect you in our world, which seems to be more desperately in need of you than ever before. Father, give us the courage and the wisdom to be able to read your scriptures, to dig deep in within our own self, and to face what's saying and put it into practice in our life and find freedom like these two disciples did. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, man, it's so, there's, there's so man, I'm... It's the wind of the Spirit here. Is that slightly better? Sorry, I feel like I'm breathing on it here. This passage is deep. There is so much going on. But as you can see, especially in Luke, many people have said this, and I think this is true. If Jesus wasn't real, we wouldn't have ever been able to make him up. If this story wasn't true, nobody trying to write about the Messiah would have written like this. And there's so many of these details where you're like, that's what buddies do to each other. He's acting like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep going. No, bro, come on in. Come. This is such, and if you've ever been in the hospitality, this is exactly what you do. Like in Africa, we're going to act like, oh, I'm going to head on home. It's like it's like a 12-hour walk home. What do you mean you're going to head home? Well, when did you come in for dinner? Oh, really? You know, I mean, it's so, it's so funny what's happening. 
But I look at this, and this is absolutely about a story. When when the story of God doesn't go the way you want, the way you expect, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you react? We're we're watching it live in person with these two disciples, Cleopas and another disciple that remains unnamed. A lot of ancient sources actually suggest and write that actually this other disciple is probably his wife. You're like, oh man, this is like marriage retreat material. (laughs) But I look at this and I go, it's interesting. She's not named. I don't know, is he finally repenting and taking responsibility for the spiritual welfare of his home? Maybe so. I don't know. Maybe there's a a deeper meaning there. I don't know. But this reminds me of something. How many of us have ever heard of Adolf Hitler? Right? Is there a human being that hasn't? They're like, who's that? Yeah. Uh, I I, I don't like anything about the guy. I mean, no one does. I mean, there's there's, there's certain enemies, there's certain characters in history that everyone could hate and, and totally fine with it. He's one of those dudes. He might be the most hated person of all, all human history. Certainly on the top 10. No one names their kid Adolf. I've never met one. It's like, have you ever met a Judas? You're like, nope. Jude, yes. Judas, nope. I haven't met that guy. And so it, it, it's, it's amazing. But did you know, in so many of the historians, and my, my wife's an artist, so this is, it's very interesting, this part for me, because when you study these historians, What's the origin story? Where did it begin? How did someone like Adolf Hitler get there? What they do is they trace back, and actually, he was a failed artist. And he'd applied to the art school of Vienna twice and got brutally rejected. Brutally rejected. And as a middle-aged, what, 20-something-year-old man, what we see is that over the course of the next decade and a half, He would not just try to accumulate influence and power. When he got there, his goal stated just out to the world is that he would make Berlin an art masterpiece that would rival and beat Paris. He stole the art from virtually every culture that he couldn't amass it. And this is something that was tormented to the worst possible ends and motivated by his disappointment. Reminds me of another terrible character. You may have heard of him, Darth Vader. It's amazing how fast you will turn to the dark side when disappointment is running your life, is it not? How are you doing with that today? With the hurts and the disappointment. And the truth of it is, is that a lot of that disappointment and hurt can be legitimately blamed on someone else. But don't mistake the difference between fault and responsibility. Whoever committed the act initially is the one that's necessarily keeping the pain going. And often the responsibility for our own healing and our own discipleship, it lies with the person in the mirror. Can we, we're going to dig in. I want to give you two points that I get that are very challenging and encouraging to me and challenge you to go maybe this week to go find some more. Are we all together? Is all this making sense so far? First point I want to talk about is conversations and questions. Look at this passage. Look at verse 17, verse 19. What are some of the things that Jesus says? We'll be slightly interactive today, you know, with, with, with self-control. You know what I'm saying? It's not a concert, you know, throwing stuff at me. You didn't know. Like, when you look at this, verse 17, verse 19, Jesus, what is he saying? Yeah. 
He's asking questions. Jesus walks up and he goes, uh, what are you guys talking about while you're walking along? Like you're, you're Jesus. And I, these are these questions. I go, why? I, for a long time, I went, why this question? Like Jesus, hey guys, what you chatting about? I'm like, like there's, how about like, hey, boneheads, the empty tomb is right there. Like, none of that. There's no correction. There's no exclamation point. It's just two questions. And I go, man, why is Jesus going this? And I can't help but to think of Matthew 12, 34, or 15, 18, or Luke 6, 45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And Jesus walks up, what's coming out of your heart? This is a heart question. What are you talking about? What are you chatting about when your discipleship partner, when your accountability partner, when your wife's not around, when your husband, or when the minister, or when no one from the church is, or what are you saying as you're just walking away here? What's coming out of your heart? And if you notice, their heart's exposed throughout this entire conversation. You notice their, their, their responses? It's a, what was Jesus? I mean, we, it was a prophet. A prophet? He was... Not the Messiah. He's the pro- just a prophet. Powerful in word and deed. We thought he was the one. You thought? What are you thinking now? And, so, and you just hear this and they go, and this is wild to me. Because Jesus, throughout here, I'll ask at least two questions to lead off with. And how many questions does Cleopas and this other disciple ask? None. And I'm like, why is it that the only person that already knows everything is the only one asking questions? And I look at this, and this isn't a lack of information. This is a humility thing. And, we're, and it's a connection and a humility and a drawing out thing. And we're watching Jesus live. His character is just coming off the page. Patient, humble, drawing out to the issue of what's going on. He's getting to their hearts. And I remember one time when this happened to me, uh, I got fired in the ministry. Uh, I guess we didn't, maybe we should have talked about this more thoroughly with the search committee. Uh, uh, this was, uh, this was 2010, I guess. I've been on the campus for a few years, me and Marty, and I was preaching one Friday and Mike Tolliver, by the way, last Sunday, I wasn't here. I was on my way down to go pick up everything. All of our goods, everything we own, fits in the back of a Honda Odyssey. I found that out this last weekend. Uh, I bought a, we bought a 2013 Honda Odyssey, baby. We got, a, we got a real car. It's ours. So happy. Packed it up. But on the way down there, I, I popped and worshipped with the San Antonio Church, which we were on staff with for many years. And Mike and Imrajit Tolliver had announced that at the end of the year, they're going to retire. After 42 years of ministry, I feel like they've earned it, which also means, because we still have a very close discipling relationship with them, they're going to be visiting Wichita. And I was like, we got a guest room, baby, get up there. So we're going to be, you'll be seeing a little bit more of Mike and Ambrigitte. If you don't like them, you can talk with Chris Chris again after service. But I remember, Mike trained me. I walked with him for 16 years. And I remember he came to one Devo to hear me preach, and there was one line of my de- this Devo sermon I said, and, he, and, he, and we got together next time, and he asked, what, what do you mean by that? 
And what had happened was, is when I moved from Seattle to San Antonio, I loved doing ministry. That's what I wanted to do. And I had about a semester's left in my degree. And everyone knew that. I came and I said, yep. And Mike was just like, dude, you're so close. Just get it done. We had so many people quit their university degrees to go ministry. Don't do that. You're so close. Just do it. Get it done. And the thing is that there's a difference between discipline and passion, right? Passion is being excellent at the stuff you love. Discipline is being excellent at the stuff you don't. I had a lot of passion. I didn't have a lot of discipline. And I loved, and I was passionate and loved the ministry. I poured myself into it, and the ministry was going great. And after the first year or two, what had happened is I just forgot because I just didn't have the character to just get it done. I didn't want to. I just didn't have the character. And what had happened is over the course of a few years, man, two, two and a half years, three years comes around, and what happens is the shame and the embarrassment of my identity kind of being the short, fat, smart kid. And my, I was a nerd. I, I was where my, so much of my value was at. And I was just embarrassed and ashamed that I just didn't get it done. And what I started doing is just started spinning and lying to the point where I'd retold stories or I was just, I had my little one-liners. It was like a used car salesman. I had my little phrases and li- because I just didn't want to deal with the fact that honestly, I just didn't have the discipline. Just get it done. Just finish it up. I was just embarrassed. And that grew to the point where, oh, man, I post, put on put Facebook that I'd finished my degree and all that. It was just a mess. I'd just been lying about it. And one line, Mike asked, and all the lies came out. Now, the ministry was going awesome. Exploded. I think that we'd gone from, what, at that point, we were nine, almost 50, I think. We'd kind of grown the last three, four years. People were in the ministry. It was fantastic. So, but Mike hired me when no one really wanted to hire me. And he fired me when no one would have fired me. I had other ministers go, oh, you're a preacher. You tell preacher stories. What Mike saw was a man whose character underneath, I just didn't have the integrity to be honest even when it hurt, even when it was embarrassing, because I just didn't want to face what was going on in my heart. Does that make sense? Maybe you can relate to that. And it was a great friend that just asked a question, and it all unraveled, and I remember that, and and he allowed me to resign, right? It was a merciful firing. And it was about 10 months later, 11 months later, I didn't move, I faced it, but I thought, man, I, I don't have the character to be an evangelist, and I'd rather be a real counselor, want to do disaster mental health, get my PhD and go help maybe with Hope or something and work in sub-Saharan Africa and, and help serve there uh, in areas that don't get a lot of research money because it's not very sexy, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't draw a lot of money. Let's go serve, and maybe I'd be a real disciple and a real counselor than a fake evangelist. And 10, 11 months later, after I'd started dating Amanda, I got some advice from Mike. We got lunch. Hey, bro, uh, what do you think about marrying this girl? She's, like, amazing. And, and, hey, here's my strategic plan about the next steps without saying the word marriage. She's an artist. want to do her MFA, Master's of Fine Arts. I want to do my PhD work. Uh, we're going to apply to three, four cities and see if we can get the same city. And, hey, what do you think? We really like what's going on. You know, I was trying to use all the words without saying the word marriage. And he goes, yeah, if she'll say yes, marry her immediately. Yes, yes, bro, great idea. And he goes, actually, but, but don't, I mean, look, if he goes, you want to do the mental health stuff, bro, I will, I'll call everyone I know and back you up. But I think you should come back in the ministry. Not only have you repented, I think you're, the, you're a church, but let's get, to, let's, come on, man. And that was challenging for me because it also drew out the fear and the insecurity of, man, I've already burned this house down. Am I going to burn it down with the wife and maybe kids inside? 
Do I got the integrity? Will I continue to dig deep? No, it's challenging for me. And the truth of it is, is that our words give us away. It's one line in a devo, and someone that loves you and loves the Bible and is trying to walk in the Spirit goes, hey, hey, what do you mean by that? Hey, what do you mean? I'll forgive, but I won't forget. What do you mean by that? Hey, what do you mean those people? What do you mean? What do you mean leaders do that? What, What do you mean by that? What do you mean white people or black people or brown people always? The poor, they're like that. They're, you know them, they're like that. What do you mean them? Wow. What do you mean when you say, oh, I love people, but I don't really want to share my faith anymore. You remember what we used to do. No. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Oh, you know, we don't have to really read our Bible anymore. I mean, show me the, you know, the scripture that says I got to read every day. Well, what do you mean by that? And what it is, it's about drawing out our hearts and going, and this is what Jesus is doing. And these conversations and these questions, and I just, it's, it's amazing. And I look at Jesus, and he's drawing out their hearts, and he's not consoling them. He's drawing them out. Wow. Hey, let's deal with this stuff. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And can't, can't our words give us away too? Yes. Yes. Go, man, you know, I, I am humble. But where are the questions? Remember when we had a discipling time, Mike and Amber G, this one, this one, Amanda was the one that was being exposed. <laughs> I remember at a time when there's been several, several big conversations and dealing with the character stuff. I mean, that's the thing about, I loved about Mike and Amber G, it was character-driven training. That's what it's about. I've never been rebuked for making a mistake. I've been rebuked for being faithless or being arrogant. That, that I've received. It's my character. It's my faith. And I remember we were having <laughs> one of those talks and Amber G and Mike are kind of like mom and dad to us, and she's got she's got mom voice. She had three boys, she's got the mom voice, and I'm like, Hur. so. But Amanda got the mom voice this particular day, which I was like, praise Jesus, <laughs> amen. But they were talking, and it was like, well, there's just not any gratitude in you. Well, and I remember Amanda was like, I am grateful. Yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful. Are you kidding me? I'm gushing gratitude right now. Can't you see me? Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, that tone wasn't like that. I, the, the story in my head was a little bit more dramatized, right? It's like inspired by a true story. That's the story I got in my brain. But no, she's like, no, no, I, I am grateful. I'm feeling I'm just not saying it. And I remember they said, if you didn't say it, it's because it wasn't there. And I went, I am humble. What are you talking about? I'm wide open. But where are the questions? Where's the ownership? Oh, I am grateful. But why don't we ever hear the word thank you? Oh, I love this church. But all of our coworkers and our friends, our neighbors and our kids, all they hear is nothing about the complaints and criticisms about the bride of Christ. No wonder they don't want to come. No wonder our teens aren't inspired to become disciples. If they, if they, get, they see smiles and side hugs at church, but complaints and criticisms at home. Does that make sense, family? Yes. And as a parent, that's, we, I go, yeah, we, we got stuff to work on. Don't get me wrong. This is the bride of Christ, and this is the best place to be. I have forgiven. I just can't forget. Can't let it go. I can't help but to think about the scripture about, man, how you forgive others is how you will be forgiven. And I don't know about you. I don't want to walk up to Jesus on judgment day and have him go, Oh, yeah, I forgave you. I just won't forget. 
and we can't really be in fellowship for a while. I'll let you know when I'm ready. I don't want that. I'm hoping for the judgment of Jesus to be like, hey, man, my, my blood covered that over. Get in here. Does that make sense? Is it easy to find accusations in your conversations, or is it easy to find confession? Is it easy to find questions and advice-seeking humility, or is it a lot of opinions and ideas about everything that should be different? Is it easy to find criticism, or is it easy to find gratitude and questions? And I'm not saying constructive criticism is bad. We love it. Come on, man. But the question isn't about, does the church need to change? Does this person need to change? My question is, how's your heart doing? Right. When this story hasn't gone the way you wanted it written. But God is still writing it. And I want to encourage you this week to examine your heart. What's going on in there? The people that are close to you, that's actually the people to ask. What do you hear me say? What do you hear me saying? What are the words that I'm saying? Because I think it begins to expose what's going on. And when we see it and we can confront it, we begin to transform, to look, not just to see the real Jesus, but also to reflect him. Does that make sense, family? Yeah, that to me is a powerful and important point for me. The, other, the second one I want to talk about is hearts on fire. Um, does anybody like hot wings in here? Who likes like spicy food? Anybody like a spicy food fan? Okay. So there's some people, we have, a, we have great friends. They're in Texas. She's Thai. Uh, her name is Noy. This is Nick and Noy Kirby. They're awesome. We love them. They're in Austin now. But she will go in her purse. There is this jar of like, it's just, it's stuff where she's like, you don't want to smell it, bro. And I'm like, there's sometimes, I mean, we got, I got some Nigerian brothers who spent a lot of time with the Africans. We love our African brothers. Spent a lot of time in Africa. And, the, and I'm like, is this white people friendly? Like, and, they're, and I'm like, and they just look at me and laugh. They're like, no, you don't want to eat that, man. Like, there's this food that's just hot. It's spicy. And, you, and, and I love spicy, like hot wings. But there's also like a level. And when we were in the campus ministry, we were, we, I was two summers in Long Beach before I moved to San Antonio. They had this place called Alondra's Hot Wings. It was awesome. They also did like deep fried Twinkies. Right, where you like see like three points of your blood pressure rises as you're eating them, you know. Like cholesterol check on the way out the door is like nuts. And I remember, but they had these hot wings, and they, they call it the atomic hot wing. Exactly. And they were, and I, and I remember when we'd, we'd go there after Devo on Friday, and everyone's, you know, we're having fun. And one time there was like a stack of papers by the checkout counter. And I'm like, what is that? It's like a raffle or something? What are you doing? She's like, no, no, these are waivers. And I was like, <laughs> no, really? No, what are those? They're like, no, no, this is, a, this is a, a waiver, a liability waiver if you order the atomic hot wings. <laughs> And of course, and every woman, every woman in the room is like, that's stupid. What do you do? And all the guys go, how much? Yeah, how? Like, sixes? Is that six, 12? Can we go order a 12-pack? And so, and all the guys, and we go, hold on, there's got to be a story. And they're telling us that literally a couple of guys came in, and they were like, can I just get a little bit of sauce, just the sauce, like a little tub thing. And one of the guys drank it, and he had to go to the hospital because he had first-degree burns down his esophagus. Yeah, and all the women are like, Idiot, what's wrong with you? Of course, what did you, it's atomic sauce. What did you expect? But all the guys are like, all right, let's get some, right? And, and so what we, one of the things we would do is, is after, we would order like a six pack or a 10 pack. And it was kind of fun because it was like, you know, who, who's going to go first? And we'd eat them one at a time and you're just watching and laughing. And the guy's like, ha, 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 
one of the guys like lips like botox like puffed up they're like hey like it was just huge some people start getting like hives i get hiccups heart hiccups when it's too spicy like uncontrollable and, and it's crazy and and i remember one sister latina she just ate him she's like that was, it's all right and we're all like waiting we're like okay you're, everyone's just like all right the queen has arrived, right? And then, remember one brother, humble, of course, goes, yeah, right, that's probably not even a real one. <laughs> you know, and it's like the old Looney Tunes, like, kind of thing, and you just see it, nope, that's real, amen, you're awesome. Like, and I remember one guy came back. He's going to wash his hands, going to the bathroom. And he, he, he kind of is gingerly walking, I was like, you all right, bro? You, you doing okay? He's like, I forgot to wash my hands. I'm like, well, Go back in, of course, bro. It just, no one's in there. He's like, no, no, no. Before I used the bathroom. Oh, no. And I was like, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's, it, and, uh, yeah, that, that is, that, yeah, that is, that is, man, yeah, it is atomic, right? And, and I, I look this and I, I love Cleopas and, and is at the end of it saying, man, weren't our hearts on fire? I don't think that's the same kind of fire they were thinking. And of course it's the brothers. Of course. But look at this in verse 30. After a conversation with Jesus. I know, bro. Always wash your hands first. That's the real uh, hot wings. I, I will never forget. I was like, bro, I, it was like the, like the cha-cha slide. He was coming back. I was like, how, I was like, how are you? I, not good. Uh, oh, amen. Amen. I was like, your words give you away, but your steps do too, man. I was like, how are, I was like, you doing all right? No, man. But check this out in verse 30. Read with me again. After this great conversation, this is what they say in verse 30. It says, when he was at the table, this is Jesus at the table with them. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And in verse 32, reflecting on their time with Jesus, conversation, it says, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The irony is, is that at that point, there were, I mean, many of us probably know this, but the book as we know it was largely a Christian creation. The codexes that were built, these, these bound books of parchment, really that's from the Christians compiling their, the canon, the Bible as they had it. Yeah. This time they would have had scrolls. Jesus wasn't walking around with a backpack, like it was like a hiking backpack full of the scrolls going, <laughs> Isaiah, remember? Like they're saying opened the scriptures to us. He's not talking about physically. He's talking about getting your heart to get it. And I wonder, I wonder if as our Bibles stay closed and our mouths stay closed with each other, our hearts begin to close to the scriptures as well. Because we are a people here that deeply believe the Bible and we are striving to be a Bible obeying group. But we don't do that alone. We believe in discipling. And what does that mean? That means reach one, teach one. That's you and me 
in each other's life and go, why? I don't want authority. I reject that. I had that. Someone hurt me. That's like saying, because I ate that hot wing 20 years ago, I'll never eat food again. It's silly. And we're also at Jesus' way. And Jesus' conversation with them, it transformed their lives. We call them prayer partnerships, discipleship partnerships. We call, you can call them what you want. But do we open the scriptures and do we open our hearts to one another? And we look at this conversation that Jesus happened with them. And what's amazing is that you look at the conversation, you look at the story that these guys are telling Jesus. Man, Jesus, prof, powerful, word and deed, died for the sins of his people. You go through the story and you're going, if they would have said it with a more faithful tone, they're telling the story of the Christian faith. Jesus came, powerful word and deed, the sins of man. And our women said, huh, he's resurrected. Can you believe it? You're like, yeah, that, that's the story. That's the good news. The king of kings is raised again. And you and me are going to be as well. And the only empty tomb will be just Jesus. And one day, like Lazarus, he's going to come to our tomb and go, Jason, Chris, get those clothes off and get on out here. We're going home. And they're telling him this story. And Jesus is going, man, where's the faith? And they're struggling and they're hurting. They're disappointed. They're wounded. Jesus, terrible leader. Man, he died on them. They let him down. They weren't there when they needed him, when they were grieving. Where's Jesus? I mean, you can just hear the pain and the confusion. And Jesus doesn't go, yeah, it's okay to hurt and blame God a little bit. He goes, no, no, no. How slow and how foolish you are because, of, because you just don't believe what the scriptures are saying in your heart. By the way, when you see feelings and feelings and thoughts, we differentiate heart and mind in our modern world. The, the, the biblical world, he doesn't do that. It says, why, even when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, he says, why are, you, why are you thinking these evil things in your hearts about why they won't heal this, you know, the, the, the paralytic in front. And that's one time that Jesus heals on the Sabbath and they want to kill him. And so these, these feelings, these convictions, they're heart and mind felt. They're deeply felt. Wow. And he's going, how foolish, because your emotions show you don't really trust in this stuff. You don't really go back to the scriptures and let them shape your emotions. You don't really let Jesus and his word lord over your feelings and your reactions. It kind of becomes the other way around. And with enough pain and enough fear, you'll start to flip and distort the Bible to say what you want it to say. This is getting exceedingly popular in our day. Where we want to filter and exegete the Bible through our, 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 our particular opinions. C.S. Lewis called it a great cataract of nonsense. I love that guy. Brilliant and cutting. I'm like, he's a nice guy, but man, he's, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to go think about that. And these conversations are hard. They're hard. But Jesus shows us not only how, but also why to do it. And I look, first thing, Jesus is how. I look at this, or sorry, let's talk about his why. Jesus, what, why is Jesus talking about this? Why is it not, hey, well, why, why is Jesus even there? Why, why is this conversation even in the Bible? Why, why is Jesus on the road? Guys, think about this. Jesus had 40 days to show himself to the world as the Christ before he would return. He spends a day and a half of it with two struggling disciples. 
He could have been talking to, the, to the Caesar. He could have been talking to the nation. He could have brought everyone back up on the sermon. We're going to have Sermon on the Mount Part 2. Let's get back to this. Thousands, 5, 10, 30,000, get all of Galilee, all of Palestine, get them in here. But he's spending a day and a half of it walking with two hurting, struggling disciples. Jesus' love and his compassion, and he sees you and me, and as we're walking away from the empty tomb, guys, they started that morning a few minutes away from the empty tomb. Later that day, they're seven miles away and walking on the opposite direction from the source of and the answer for everything they needed. And Jesus leaves the empty tomb and goes to them. And why? Because how do you spell love again? T-I-M-E. Time. Parents know this. Children know this. We all know this. We spend time with the things and the people we love. And Jesus goes to you and me when we're struggling and walking in the opposite direction. Jesus' grace, his mercy, his love, this is who he is. It almost makes me think, like, was Jesus, was, are we back to almost like the, the turning the water in the wine when he's like, woman, he's talking to his mom, woman. He doesn't say it like that, I'm sure. It's not my time yet. But he changes his plan not to save someone's life, not to resurrect or heal, but to change water into wine to celebrate with his children this amazing wedding day. And I'm like, I'm like, did Jesus change his plan? Was this his original plan? Was he going to go to the, the 120? And he goes, no, 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 there's two. When I said that a good shepherd leaves the 99, I wasn't kidding. Yeah. And I'm looking at Jesus and he's like, man, he goes to us and he gets on our level and he's walking on the road and he's drawing us out. And I go, this is what, this is who he is. This is our Lord, God patient. He sees you and he sees me. And it's not just the thousands, it's the two struggling. Even if you're struggling in your marriage, God goes, I can see that. I'll go walk that road with you. The goal isn't to stay on that road. It's to turn around and let's go back and get in view of the, the empty tomb again. You ever had a conversation where you walked in one person and walked out different? I think we need a few more of those conversations. What do you think? But one of the things, I, I got to be honest, I am so in awe and, and, and respect Tim and Wendy Cheryl. I've never, I have never been in the same room as Tim. I met Wendy for the first time when, when, the, when Vince was not so, uh, not so suspiciously trying to push the Hendersons to Wichita. It's like an arranged marriage. In the Jubilee, he's like, hey, Jeff and man, if you're going to be around, you want to like step back into this meeting with a group of people from Wichita, maybe we can just say you're looking for a job or whatever. I was like, sure, bro. Um, he's like, hey, you know, it's, it's like grandma going, I met this nice girl. Do you want to meet her? And I'm like, I'm sure, grandma, I'm sure she's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm married, but thank you. Yeah, uh, it was like, okay. And, but I'm standing with Wendy and what Tim has done and what Wendy has done for this church and the way they poured themselves out, and he's staring down cancer and treatment. Pray for him. He is wrestling through it. It is terribly hard. But Tim and Wendy came in here and had some of these conversations, didn't they? They helped us to have them. 
They helped us to dig deep and they asked these questions. But it's not enough to have someone who will, who will help you. You gotta wanna be helped. Yeah. And we've also made that decision too. Yeah. And I don't think, that's not a man-made thing, that's Jesus' way. That's the standing commission, man. We're going to help teach each other to obey. Walk on the road together. We're going to spend that time. We're going to ask these questions. And I'm not just going to go, yeah, bro, I know it's really hard. I'm just going to console you and leave it there. No, it's, no, let's have the whole talk, bro. Come on, get it out. What do you mean? What are you saying? What are you talking about? Let's get to the bottom and let's get to the scriptures opened up in our hearts and our lives again. Amen. How? That's Jesus' how. His why is the love he has for us. And I think that's what's got to drive us to, to spend the time. Oh, I don't have time. You don't have love. We say, I want to love people. Some of us use that as our phrase to say, I don't want to be bold and courageous and be, forth, be, be honest and unashamed about my faith anymore. I want to take it slow because I'm scared. Which is fine. That's a fine place to start. It's not a fine place to stay. But we got to also love each other enough to ask those questions. Say, Alex, what do you mean when you say that, bro? What, what do you mean when you say that? Hey, how is it going? I noticed, you know, you're coming in and you, you seem down. How are you? Does that make sense, friends? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It takes a lot of love to do that. Guys, there's, there's so much in this passage. But I don't know about you. When I read this, it makes me think of those conversations that I walked out different those discipling times with Mike and Amber Jeet. But I'll be honest, I mean, I, it's not just what's happening, you know, people that I built for 20 years on the other side of the, the planet here, that, or the other side, feels like Texas is the other side of the planet now. Praise, <laughs> praise Jesus. I don't have to drive that nine-hour drive again. I'm like, thank you, Texas. It's been nice. It's been very good. It's been very great. I'm happy to be in Kansas now. Thank you very much. But I remember we... You know, one of the last meals I had was with Tony, barbecue, went to, to Delano. It was nice, actually. Delano or Delano? Delano. Delano. We got a, you know, a little bit more of the Spanish influence. Start saying it correctly. Uh, we went to barbecue. Tony and I were talking. It's really honest, really vulnerable conversation. How are you feeling? How's it been? What do you think about us? Sometimes, as a church, when you're interviewing people, you, can, you get how, how tough it feels to be on the receiving side. It can also be a little bit challenging a time to go, hey, what do you think about me? You know, it's like after the first date, you think I'm pretty? Like, it's just like, uh, yeah, you're really cute, but your personality could use work. I mean, you just don't know what the feedback's going to be. But I appreciate it telling you, going, man, we, he's like, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to be hurt again. I thought that was gutsy. That was gutsy. But the best friends we get to have in Jesus are just on the other side of gutsy, aren't they? Amen. Yeah. The people we want to be are just on the other side of that. Amen. Yeah. And we need each other to get there. We do this together. We repent together. We talk together. We change together. We transform together. And we begin to reflect Jesus together. Amen. There's so many people on my list I'm thinking of. So what do we do about this? I want to transition our time into our time of communion. And Luke ends this story in a really interesting way because Cleopas and the other disciple run back. Let's read this again here. In verse 33, at the end of the story about where their heart's at, what's transformed so powerfully. Are we, hopefully all this is making sense today. Are we all together? Okay. 
And in verse 33, it says, They got up and they returned to, at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he what? Broke the bread. What does that sound like? When you hear broke the bread, we're thinking communion. That's not on accident. Luke is absolutely taking us there. And at the end of the story and, and recognizing, and you see that Jesus is leading them back and Luke is showing, man, when you and me and us as a family, when we return to being people whose hearts are on fire because of the scriptures, and we focus back on the cross and the empty tomb, that is where the resurrected Christ is going to be seen again. Amen. That we see him and we recognize him and we become people that run to face our fears. We run to heal our hurts. We run to tell the story, even when it wasn't when we expected. And I love this because Cleopas and this other disciple, they're so different than the way they were at the beginning of this day. It took them all day to get eight, seven, about seven miles down the road. They seemed to double time it back. There's a different pep in their step, and I don't think it was just atomic sauce. Do you know what I'm saying? Their hearts were on fire. How, do you remember what it feels like to have that? Do you remember the first time when you sat and you got, maybe you studied the cross study. I remember that from me, and I remember Alex Whitaker and some of the guys studying the Bible, and he asked me, and I was quite an engineer, and so you know, we studied, and I was like, this is valuable information, right? I mean, I had a pretty, you know, I wasn't very moved with the affect the demonstration of emotion wasn't there. And I remember Alex had a conversation with me afterwards. He's like, just trying to gauge how, how you feeling. Do you feel like you get it? What, what do you think about the cross? There, there's no tears, but it doesn't mean there's no response. How you feeling? And I remember looking at Alex and going, Alex, I, I'm not very responsive emotionally. I had a pretty hard heart at that point. Very, very skeptical, very hurt. In fact, he had invited me the first time to come to church, and I told him I... I love studying the Bible, but I don't want to go to church because I think I'll be disappointed again and I'll really close the, the door on God for good. I think I shared that with you all. And I remember as we were studying, he asked about the cross and I and I'd been meditating on it for days, reading it. And I remember looking at him going, Alex, I get that there's no tears, but I now refuse to let my life, let this grace be in vain. I refuse. I will not be the same man. I will not be left unchanged after seeing the cross. I won't. It's changed me. I don't know, I don't know where I'm going, but I will not stay the man I am. And I, I'm, I'm in it, man. I'm, I'm there. And he was like, oh, okay, amen. Well, maybe we should strongly consider baptizing. Right? I mean, it was like, I think he gets it. But I look at Cleopas, and I feel like they had their cross study. And I, I wonder for you, do you remember what that was like when you feel like your heart first got it? And you're like, oh, oh my goodness. Yes, it is the Lord. Yes, I find grace there. Oh my goodness, my sins can be forgiven here. And this table, it's open to all, but I got to come and I, I got to come back to the empty tomb and I need to see him too. And this morning as we're ending this and we're, and we're taking communion together and you break this bread, I want to encourage you to make a couple of decisions 
The one is seen from Luke to be a man or woman that is deeply, passionately in love with the Word of God again. That we dig deep. We eat and drink deeply from it. Not just alone, but with each other. That we want that again. And the second thing is that we make a decision to connect and open our hearts with each other. Knowing we're never meant to do this alone. Ever. But together when we have, I I challenge three or four people to get an all-access pass. It's easy to give certain people a slice of your life so no one gets the full messy picture. I don't know if anybody else is strategic and shrewd as me. I'm like, here, Rob, you can hear this part of my marriage. And then here, come on over here, Tony, you'll get this part of our finances. But then once someone sees the whole mess, they're like, we should probably get together every week and pray. (laughs) But when we do that, we become a people whose hearts are on fire for the word. And we come to the cross and we see Jesus again. It doesn't just change you and me. It changes the world around us because they need this too. Let's bow our head as we break bread together and think about the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the ability to have communion, to hear the word preached, to sing like this. We know that there are many people gathered around the globe this morning that have to meet in homes and underground places that are that are meeting in, that are, you know, in, in, in closets secretly. They're praying and they're, they're, they're singing quietly because they're afraid of their physical safety because of the, 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 the government officials. And we don't have that problem here. We get full freedom to say and to live how we want, Father. And I pray that, that our hearts, that we embrace that courage and that responsibility and live in freedom and not live ashamed. That we can dig deep into your word and be inspired by Cleopas. That we can be inspired by this other disciple. We can be inspired by Jesus, Father. That your love and your grace, your grace and your mercy is just overwhelming, Father. But that you draw us out. And that our hearts, we need to be transformed and we need to come back, break this bread and see you and recognize you every week. Father, help us this morning as we break this bread that's, that's your body broken for us. That you love us and that you minister to us and you come to us to help us to reflect you to the world. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.